We have a wonderful treat today uh, because Ted and Denise have been journeying with God for a good while. And they have this amazing testimony, beautiful testimony of what God has done in their lives and what he's doing through their lives. And I believe that this is the next kind of page of what God wants to do in giving us more together today. Uh, we're going to come back together after they've shared and respond uh, to what God is doing. But I'd love you please to welcome Ted and Denise Bowen right now. Welcome both of you. Tell us the story. Lead us into the presence of, well, we're in the presence of God already. Lead us deeper into the presence of God. Well, thank you so much for welcoming us here this, this morning. And thank you, uh, Mark and Jane. Do appreciate it so much. Uh, I know Jane had mentioned uh, the journey. So this journey, uh, we've been on for 23 years. And uh, it's not about us. I know we have a testimony but it's all about the glory and, and raising Jesus Christ up. And so, thank you again. God can use our mountaintop experiences, but usually he uses our valley experiences to shape us into the people he can use to fulfill his purposes in our lives. We consider it his victory that only through Jesus Christ are we able to share our story with you today, thereby putting the forever loser back in the pit where he belongs? When we first gave this first talk, um, it was like Sunday morning at 3 o'clock, and I just could not get any sleep. And all of a sudden, Psalms 23 popped into my head. And so being obedient, I read Psalms 23. Um, and I, and I feel reading this, I, I'm sure that there might be some of you out there that might want to hear this. And so let me read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare me a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup of overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I realized the enemy had been trying to take me out even before I was born. My mom's appendix ruptured and infection set in when she was pregnant with me in the 50s. After surgery, the doctors were not sure I would make it six months until delivery. Psalms 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I knew when I married I would only choose a man sold out to Jesus and had his priorities aligned right. So when I met my sweetie, we were married eight months later. Fast forward to kids. Raising kids is not for the faint of heart, and you guys know. <laughs> Our first son came along in 84, and it became apparent that there's a lot of information that the child-rearing books do not tell you about. Remember, no internet back then? We believe what God's word says in Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Seven years later, our second son was born. 
We had been living in California at that particular time, and uh, it was time to head north. So in 1998, with our seven and 14-year-old sons, we moved from Southern California to Bellingham, Washington. Our faith began to grow as we could uh, see God's hand in our move. We sold our house in California in a week, bought another house in Washington, believing that God would provide a job for us. And we were getting down to the wire and still waiting for a job. Our house in Bellingham was going back on the market since I did not have a job yet. And at 3 p.m. on the day that the house was to go back on the market at 5 p.m., I secured all the signatures necessary and faxed the new employer paperwork to the bank. God's timing is perfect. We plugged into church and met some great Christians there. So we actually proved that you can do all the things wrong, and it still came out right. In 1999, exactly a year to the day we moved, we were surprised with the diagnosis of stage 3 ovarian cancer. We found out on a Thursday. By Tuesday, we were in pre-op and Friday in surgery, two hours away in Seattle. We were in shock, but not totally surprised. Since my sister, since I watched my sister fight hard for three years to overcome her ovarian cancer until she moved to her heavenly address at 34, leaving behind a three-year-old son. Her husband cheated on her during the marriage, including the time she was fighting for her life. The enemy started speaking in my ear, would my husband do the same thing if I got sick? I had nothing to fear. He took care of us and helped out in every way possible. I had surgery and with Ted by my side, we stuck together, knowing it wouldn't be easy, but God would be with us every step of the way. While recovering from the hysterectomy, I stayed in California with my parents. I was nauseous all the time and got very sick. I thought it was just from the first chemo treatment. My hair fell out. I continued to get worse. We went to the ER and discovered a severe kidney infection, sepsis, and a bowel obstruction. I was told I may need more surgery, but weighing in at 90 pounds, the prognosis was pretty poor. So the doctor told my parents to get Ted here ASAP. He stayed until I was out of danger. With hormones out of whack and forced into menopause, I cried at the dinner table many nights missing Ted and the kids so much. After six weeks, I was able to get back home. Uh, yeah. After six weeks, I was able to get back home to the family. I began weekly chemo treatments lasting four to five hours with one week off a month. I climbed in bed after I'd get the kids off to school in the morning. The chemo just gets your body broken down. That's, how, that's the best I could do. I climbed in bed in the morning and got out, um, got out of bed just before they got home from school. I tried to minimize what I was going through and tried to make our household normal. But there's no returning to normal after you have cancer. It's just a new normal. I'm a very serious person. Ted's the one with the good sense of humor. I began to develop a sense of humor and playfulness through this medical journey. Before surgeries, I've been known to write notes on my body in the purple uh, pen to say, hope you had a good night's rest, hope you had a cup, good cup of coffee, cut on the dotted line, those kind of silly things, just trying to downplay the situation. I also wanted the kids to see that I wasn't, well, I wasn't really in fear, but I wanted them to see that we would get through this. I also didn't like being put out before I entered the operating room. I liked to see the nurses' hats and the equipment, plus the meds erase your memory, and I didn't like that. So I joined a cancer support group, which was helpful in the beginning, 
But then one by one, the ladies started to die and my grief and loss bucket was filled to overflowing. This is important. Take time to grieve the losses in your life, not necessarily deaths, but loss of a job, your physical health to a point, whatever. There's many different losses. Don't dwell on them, but acknowledge and work through them. Deal with it now or with compounded interest later on. I fought hard. My goal was to live long enough to raise my kids. Our friends helped us with the kids, and we had a great praying church. Those that have a family members with serious illness know the whole family is involved in the, will, uh, in the illness and recovery, not just the patient. Each person in the family responds differently during crisis. Our youngest son, who was always happy and smiley, uh, didn't have a smile on his face for one and a half years. Our oldest acted out and was more defiant. If you are the caregiver, you know how stressful it is. Their responsibilities have now doubled or tripled. They are tired and exhausted. When I meet someone who is going through a life-threatening disease, I always ask the caregiver how they are doing with all the changes. A year later, just as my hair was starting to go back, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I found myself bawling my eyes out in the doctor's office. I couldn't believe it. Even though the cancer lump was small, I opted for double mastectomies and had more chemo. After a few weeks of chemo, I refused to do any more. I was so done. Quality of life is important, and I wasn't having any quality. You are part of your medical plan. Voice your concerns. You have power. Genetic testing was done, and a mutation was found on the BRCA1 gene. I didn't go back for reconstructive surgery for two years. I was so done with doctors. <laughs> My self-esteem took a huge hit. In a world where there's such a focus on beauty, every time I looked in the mirror, I didn't measure up. I began to question God, why? But God did not cause the cancer. The forever loser was at work. I prayed and read over and over and over what God says about me, and I started to believe that God and Ten will continue to love me even if I don't look the way I used to. I told myself I still have worth and value just because he made me and I am his. I am a daughter of the king. Yeah. It took a long time for me to get there. God's love for me is not based on how I look what job I have or don't have, how many activities I'm involved in, what kind of house I live in, none of that matters. To strengthen my faith, I would put scripture up on the bathroom mirror, and I slowly started to believe that God still had a good plan for my life. Psalm 91.2 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. During my devotional time, I discovered a book, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, her devotion seemed to give me the faith, hope, and courage I desperately needed during this time. He does bring beauty from ashes. In Isaiah 61, 2 and 3, it says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, 
the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Meanwhile, back on the home front, the conventional wisdom of Dr. Dobson and counselors was not working. Where's that darn parenting manual anyway? After, after calls to the sheriff with our younger son and I locking ourselves in the bedroom for protection, we now needed to go into tough love mode. Our oldest has matured into a great son now. He's married and to a beautiful woman, Taylor, and they now have five children. But during the time Denise was battling cancer, it was all about him, and he made sure that we knew it. He was on a destructive course with violence, drugs, and defiance. When you have a person who is sick, you have to eliminate as much stress as possible. When you have a, okay, a year after high school, we had to remove Matt from the house. We took him to a shelter where he would be safe and have a bed, but he refused to go in and took off and decided to join a gang. At home, we changed the locks on the doors since he couldn't be trusted. We continued to pray for wisdom and guidance to lead our family. Later, our son joined the Marine Corps and was sent to Iraq and Afghanistan. We continue to pray for his protection. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. In 2007, after being cancer-free for seven years, with confidence in a new lease on life at 50, I pursued my dream to become a flight attendant. It's never too late to pursue your dreams and start over again. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With hard work and determination, I got a job with a small airline in Washington State that flew the routes for Myrtle Beach Direct Air. What's not to like? Be in a condo on the beach for six weeks or rain for six months in Washington. <laughs> that, was, that was a no-brainer. So that's how we ended up moving to Myrtle Beach. Then I eventually went to work for United Airlines and was based out of Chicago. I was living the dream, traveling the world, enjoying myself, but I wanted to be sharing those adventures with Ted. I was very happy, but not full of joy. In 2010, after 10 years of being cancer-free, vaginal cancer reared its ugly head. Needless to say, I was in shock. I finally found my dream job, and I thought I had beat cancer and I was angry. I used the time during my radiation treatments to pray and would visualize Pac-Man. Remember Pac-Man? Yeah. <laughs> Some of us do. Okay, I visualized Pac-Man eating up the cancer cells and then a street sweeper sucking the rest out that was left. I really, really wanted to return to my job. Three months later, I did return to flying in the back of my mind, I began to wonder, is God punishing me for something? How many times is cancer going to try to take me out? Or am I not doing what he wants? I began to think, write it in the sky if you have to, God. I just don't want to be sick again. I realized that God did not give me the cancer. But again, the forever loser tries er to use every opportunity to lie and use chaos and confusion in our lives to turn us away from our Heavenly Father. 
the enemy was in my head, again, telling me I'm damaged goods, a loser, and that I don't deserve to live. I knew God would be with us again, holding us by our right hands and walking by our side every step of the way. I was ready to accept his plan for my life, whether here on earth or with him in heaven. Time to suit up and go into battle again. I became even more aware of how short life is, and I knew I wanted to make the rest of my days count for God. I'm learning the two things you can control in life. One, your attitude. And two, how you respond when life's surprises come your way. The remission was short-lived. Six weeks after returning to work in January of 2011, I learned the cancer had returned. I was devastated, angry, and going down the black hole of depression and despair once again. Ted was able to pick up a second full-time job since I wasn't able to work, and we had medical bills, substitute teacher by day and windshield delivery man by night. Needless to say, we didn't see much of each other. Hey, when the chips are down, it's time to move into survival mode, not only health-wise, but also financially. So taking a second job seemed to be the responsible thing to do. It was hard. I was always tired. I got up at 5 a.m. I worked part-time at school from 8 to 12, then uh, reported to the second job and worked from 3 to 11 p.m., and then it started all over again the next day. I did that for seven and a half years. Uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Even while working two jobs for seven and a half years, it was still hard to make ends meet. We were bar barely paying our bills and helping our son through college, but eventually we had to short sell our house. I thought my life was self-destructing. We always paid our bills and never had gotten behind. I felt so ashamed and responsible for losing our house and causing all this financial destruction. Not only was God walking with us, now my friends, he was carrying us forward in this journey. Over the next four years, I had more surgery, hospitalizations, chemo, radiation that left me exhausted. I felt like I should glow in the dark from all the radiation I'd had. Due to Ted's two jobs, most of the time when I was in the hospital in Charleston, I was by myself. I realized this was the way it had to be. I knew God had me in the palm of his hand, and this gave me courage to keep fighting. The most important thing here is you must be your own advocate. Stand up and ask for what you need. Find a doctor that will listen. Now, Denise does a lot of things great. But one of the things that she really does well is that she's an organizer. This is volume one of two, right here. You need to keep a binder with all your information in it. In this binder, she's got uh, doctor's appointments, surgeries. Um, she's got surgery, <laughs> notes. <laughs> surgery notes and everything else. She's got every burp in here and also every yawn, whatever. Uh, but anyway, everything is in here. So if you need a new doctor, um, the doctor is always going to ask you, well, I need to have the latest information. If you don't have it, it could be a delay of two, uh, one or two weeks before the doctor gets that information in, in his hands. Here, when you have a binder, you just take that out, fax it, and it's in that doctor's office that same day. So start moving. Um, so anyway, 
Uh, so she's got lab work, surgery reports, diagnosis, list of doctors, names, and phone numbers. Also, have your medical history written down and carry it with you. It's important. Know what your spouse's desires are for the end-of-life issues. Um, you know, we have some wonderful friends, and he, uh, he just passed away just recently. And she had no idea that their house was in foreclosure and that they had a lot of unpaid bills because he did it all. So the other thing I really want to stress that's so important is the fact that both spouses communicate. Because when you're going through something like this, something is going to fall in the hole, in the crack, and you're not going to know what's going on um, until you're surprised. So make sure that you communicate. Make sure that both names are on all legal documents in case somebody passes away, because if not, it's going to be a journey trying to get everything organized. So make sure everything's in place there. I discovered a verse in Matthew 5.45. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So why not me? What, why would I be exempt from trouble in this life? Passion Translation in Psalm 91, 3 and 4 says, He will rescue me from every hidden trap of the enemy, and he will protect me from false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around me, protecting me. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield keeping me from harm. The radiation treatments permanently damaged my colon, intestines, and I had diarrhea all the time. So anyway, it became clear that I would not be able to go back to flying. I wondered why he had spared me when some of my friends have died of cancer. I found myself with what I called survivor's guilt. I felt guilty for being alive. Not the right attitude, I know, but I'm just keeping it real. <laughs> I was, I was getting tired. I saw no end in sight. I put more pressure on myself to figure out how I could stay healthy. I did what I could to eat well, take supplements, scoured the internet, now that we had the internet, um, tried to rest and take care of myself. I had a lot of time on my hands, so I spent more time in prayer, reading the word, and I tried to pull myself out of the black hole once again and get rid of the anger and bitterness. I don't like to admit I was anger and bit, ang angry and bitter at God, but I was. <laughs> I've, since <laughs> I've since overcome. Um, it was really hard. I felt like I had no life. I was too weak to do much. I didn't go anywhere since we had one car and Ted used it for both his jobs. I'm not whining or having a pity party. That's just the way it was. Meanwhile, I continued to get kidney infections, and the doctors couldn't figure out why. They put a kidney stent in, which um, usually lasts a year or more, and mine were lasting six weeks. Um, I was in pain. I'd go from doctor to doctor. Nobody would validate that I was in pain. I f uh, we finally went to the ER. They said, well, we could admit you for the weekend and give you shots in your bottom. Like, that's going to scare me off. I said, no, bring it on. Fine, I I'll do anything to get rid of the pain. When I got to the floor, the doctor came in. And mind you, I brought my three-ring binder with me. Okay, I did. It was sitting on the little, you know, table. He said, your cancer's back. I'm like, 
do you want my binder? I, I started bawling my eyes out once again. Happened to be that Monday, we had a, an appointment with our oncologist uh, down in Charleston, and I told him what happened over the weekend. I said, he didn't run a single test. He says, the cancer's back? Is the cancer back? He goes, no. I said, well, then why would a doctor do that? He said, let me explain something. You, you are too difficult of a case. They want you to go away. For real, for real. So needless to say, we fired three urologists, and then we got a new urologist back down in Charleston. He ended up doing six more kidney stents. They usually take him an hour to get in. He said, mine take an hour. So we knew there was a problem. In 2013, the right kidney came out. The kidney was good. I asked to donate it. They wouldn't let me donate it. But it was the ureter that was attached to the kidney that was just all full of holes and damage from the radiation. I prayed, God, if you can use this experience to help others and glorify you, all this would be worth it. Here we are today. <laughs> Here's one of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. A turning point came in 2015 when I started, when we started attending a new church in Myrtle Beach. We had been Christians for 40 years. We were growing and thought we had this Christian thing down. Then we met Norman Louise and realized we were not even close. We joined uh, Norman Louise's small group. Thank you, Norman Louise, Carol, Dave and Marcia, Kathy, and uh, Jan and Jack and Lorraine, and the rest of the small group. These members were really seasoned and mature Christians, and our spiritual life began to grow exponentially. We didn't know much about the concepts of the Holy Spirit, spiritual warfare, intercessory prayer, and the spiritual gifts. This group poured into us, and we learned how to pray and declare scripture over situations and ourselves. We listened to teachers like Bill Johnson, Peter Wins, Lance Walnow, Dutch and Tim Sheets, and Randy Clark, just to name a few. I attended Randy Clark's Global School of Supernatural Ministry in the summer of 2017, and I grew by leaps and bounds. Bill Johnson says, I can't afford to have a thought about myself that God doesn't already have. This was very eye-opening for us, and we started devouring books and learning all we could. After learning from Norman Louise, in hindsight, we saw many ways we could have prayed and decreed uh, over ourselves differently in previous years. But God knew. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I shoulda done this, or I shoulda done that. Don't should on yourself. It doesn't work. The Passion Translation of Romans 8.26 says, and in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times, we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. 
In 2015, after four years, I had finally gone back to work. Not my dream job, but at least I was healthy enough to go get a job. Believe it or not, in 2016, we were able to buy another house, something we didn't think was even possible. God's timing was perfect once again. In 2018, after a seven-year remission, the same cancer was diagnosed for the third time. Really? <laughs> we prepared for battle once again. This time, the prognosis was grim. Our oncologist in Charleston for eight years is a great guy. He used to tell Denise she was his poster child for cancer. After this third diagnosis, his warm demeanor suddenly changed to being cold and distant. He gave us two options. You could do nothing and in six months die a slow, excruciating, painful, and miserable death. Then he says, too bad it's not in your kidney, uh, kidneys or your death would be not so painful. Or you could have this rare, terrible, invasive 12-hour surgery with a long recovery time, 100% complications, of which we only do one a year. I'll see you in three months for a follow-up appointment. What? The car ride home was quiet. We looked at each other and said, he doesn't want to do the surgery. Now, he didn't say that, but there was something we felt. Why didn't he just say that, or better yet, refer us to someone else? A week later, uh, I was talking to a teacher whose husband was going through prostate cancer. And she looked at me and she says, well, are you guys ready for a, a second opinion? And we're going, well, yes, we'll go for a second opinion. And so um, she called her husband. He called his oncologist. And by the end of the day, we had a name of an oncologist at Duke. And uh, so, again, God opened the doors. It was incredible. I took action. I'd already made, a, um, I guess, a third, um, a, a third opinion appointment at MD Anderson. Now that I had a name, I called Duke. I was told, we can't make an appointment until we receive your records. I said, what's your fax number? You got 32 pages coming. That is why it's so important to keep your own records. I had everything I needed. I had never asked any of my oncologists to ever give me the odds of survival. It's a proven fact that our minds have a way of believing whatever you tell it. I didn't want a self-fulfilling prophecy. My cancer, uh, the cancer doctor at Duke, after looking over my previous records from the last 19 years, says, I know the doctor who did your surgery 19 years ago in, in Seattle. We went to medical school together at Duke. I mean, what are the odds? I mean, come on, come on, what are the odds? <laughs> wow, God's providence again. She said, there, just like the prior oncologist said, there aren't any treatments we can do except this rare and invasive surgery called a pelvic exoneration. And we only do six a year, and this was at Duke. She said, this will be a Hail Mary pass. Duke's doctors had a spirit of optimism, telling us that they had a great team that can handle this and any complications that arise. During my visit to the plastic surgeon, we were put in a room with a green screen. 
like the kind you'd see in a glamour shot or the blue screen. All that was missing was the fan blowing in my hair. So I thought I'd exercise my humor again. So when the doctor came in, I jokingly asked if we would be doing our glamour shots today. The doctor blushed and said yes, he was holding his digital camera. A bit awkward, but he had trained at MD Anderson using the latest techniques, doing the type of surgery I would need, a skin graft um, for my leg and veins and all this stuff. So, but he had trained at MD and that was supposed to be the best place for this particular type of surgery. After this latest diagnosis, my friend Louise asked me if I had any unresolved bitterness or anger issues. Hmm. What? I thought this, what did this have to do with cancer? I so soon learned it had a lot to do with cancer. I knew in my heart I still had some anger and bitterness issues that I had not worked through. I, I, I had started, I'm, I wasn't done yet. I thought if I have any chance at all of survival, I need to get rid of the anger and bitterness and make peace. So one, I set out to make peace with those I was angry and bitter at, even our oldest son. Two, it is what it is, but I can still have joy despite the circumstances. That doesn't mean we weren't concerned, but this time it was different. We truly had the peace that passes all understanding. Our mantra was, God's got this, and, and we just, I can't describe it. It's, it is a peace that passes all understanding. We wanted what he wanted for us. His best and highest is what we prayed for, and we could rest in his peace. Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Surgery was November 19th of 2018. We packed our bags, loaded up our essential oils, our diffuser and protein shakes, and we headed to Duke. The surgery was 18 hours, invasive, removing the cancer, bladder, colon, having ostomies, skin and muscle graft, and a radiation treatment. Again, we had faithful friends, family, and prayer warriors. I knew the recovery would be long and hard when I got to my ICU room after surgery, and you're still not totally awake. I wondered if I was in heaven because I really heard beautiful harp music playing. <laughs> For real. I smiled and enjoyed the soothing music as I opened my eyes there was a lady playing a mini harp at the foot of my bed. For real. For real. It was so beautiful. Ted even asked her for another song. She, she had this old wooden harp that she strapped on her shoulder. And she just started coming in and she started playing. And it was just so soothing and so beautiful. I had to request another song and she did it. Our room was filled with such an atmosphere of peace. Plus it smelled good with all the diffusers. The nurses loved coming in to see what fragrance was going into the diffuser for the day. It was during this time I had two research papers that I had to finish for the classes I was taking to renew my teaching certificate. Crazy times. But we could feel the presence of God so much that I was able to get everything completed to finish the classes to renew my teaching certificate. We were told there would be 100% <coughs> chance for complications with this surgery, but that they couldn't tell us exactly what the complications would be. So for three days, I had been hallucinating due to the drugs I was given. <laughs> I was, I, when I closed my eyes, I would see 
starving children in Africa. I would see pictures of snakes on the walls. I even heard K-Love music being played. I later found out there was no music being played. But I was afraid to even tell Ted this. You know, when you're on all these meds, they kind of, you don't think straight. So I was afraid to tell him or my doctors for fear they would send me to the lockdown place for crazy people. Uh, you don't know, you, if you've ever been in the hospital, you know you don't sleep because they're waking you up every two hours to do blood draws, replacing IV lines, doing this, that, or whatever. So on Thanksgiving morning, I felt like a weight was sitting on my chest. All of a sudden, my nurse came in and said, do not go to sleep. I'm thinking, why would she say that? That's all I wanted to do for three days was sleep. I said, Ted, then let's turn on HGTV. Not realizing at 3 a.m., you only get infomercials. <laughs> yeah, for real. I, I really did say that. I said, please turn on HG, then if I have to stay awake. Oh. Believe it or not, the infomercial I watched was on a food saver, food preservation system. I believe it was God who had me so laser focused that the TV was in the corner and I stared at that thing for 45 minutes. I didn't notice all the commotion, all the doctors coming in and out. I was glued to that silly infomercial. When the nurse kept saying, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep, I thought it quite odd. So I got up and looked at Denise's vitals. Her blood pressure had dropped to 40 over 20, and she was in AFib. Not a great situation to find yourself in. I guess these are our complications. Slowly not rushing in to cause a panic, one by one and two by two, the doctors would come into the room. They did not panic at all. They just came in, you know, one would come in, two would come in, just casually. And before you know it, this whole room is full of people in white coats focusing on Denise. Um, they were checking Denise out to see what they could do. I was watching all this, and I did not panic. The chief of trauma was standing right next to me, and she was looking at Denise and all the other doctors, and she had tears coming out of her eyes, which was not a good idea. <laughs> My thoughts... She was watching, and all of a sudden, she takes the IV bag out of the machine and begins to squeeze the bag as hard and quickly as she could. What Denise needed was fluids and quickly because she was so dehydrated from the surgery. It was during this ordeal I had a vision. In this vision, I was above my hospital bed while all this commotion was going on, and I could see purple angel wings covering my body on the bed. With the vision over, 45 minutes later, I stopped watching the TV. The crisis was over, but the ICU doctor was still crying at the foot of my bed. It was then that I realized the gravity of this situation. I was moments away from getting my heavenly address. With tears in my eyes, I thanked her for saving my life. I felt like God was telling me he sent his angels to keep watch over me. Since then, I've recently had, I guess, some insight into that vision. And when I look at what the infomercial meant that I was so fixated on, I think about what the food saver bags do. They seal, preserve whatever's in the bag on all four sides. God had me hemmed in 
on all sides with his love and protection. Psalm 139.5 says, You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hands upon me. When God says he has us hemmed in, it means he has us totally surrounded. We are not confined. He has us protected and directed by his hand. During that whole day, Denise's blood pressure was still all over the place and with AFib. And I was thinking about when Jesus was talking to Peter. He said to Peter, he said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And that's what was exactly how I was feeling at the time. I felt like my hope and my faith was starting to be sifted. I felt that my faith and hope was being sifted at 10 o'clock p.m. that evening. I left the room and went down to the first floor to pray for more faith and hope and that Denise would recover. At that time of night, there is no one around. The hallways are absolutely vacant. Visitors have all gone home and the hallways were vacant. After about an hour, I started to walk back to our room. As I was approaching the corner, a gentleman rounded the corner. As we got closer, our eyes locked on each other. And as we were almost side by side, he looked at me and he raised his finger in the air and he said, God's got this. He repeated back to me what Denise and I have always proclaimed, and that was God's got it. And from that time on, her health began to improve. Hallelujah. Praise God. In 2019, <clears throat> being a year out, we felt very fortunate. The doctor said, if we can keep you alive for a year, and she didn't finish the sentence, but I kind of knew what she was meaning. Ted says, we got to celebrate. And I'm like, oh, we can't afford it. You know, I don't know if I'm strong enough to walk all over the place. I relented. So we, we took a cruise. And we, um, we did those things you dream about doing. We swam with the manatees. We ziplined in Belize. And we, we really celebrated. We really feel like we both got a, a, a new lease on life. Um, in 2020, I needed my gallbladder out. Doctor said overnight, home, easy peasy. Surgery was a success, but I wasn't getting any better. I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, I spent two days in post-op and a rare heart to diagnosed condition was discovered, but it wasn't cancer. It was decided a feeding tube would need to be put into place. Their guess was three months to try to fix the problem. The cough I had in the hospital turned out to be pneumonia, which took four different tries with antibiotics to clear up, and a long-term lung infection was diagnosed. I developed shingles and sciatica as well. I'm done. <laughs> I was done. After 31 days in the hospital off and on, I was able to come home before Thanksgiving. The feeding tomb came out five months later, and all is good. I'm believing that God will continue to heal that situation so I can avoid another surgery. The biggest transformation occurred between my two ears with the renewing of my mind. We are standing strong. Restoration can and did happen. The past year was the first time in eight years we had physical contact with our oldest son and we were able to see our grandchildren. Thank you, God. 
Our other son lives in L.A., and we have a relationship with him and are praying for him to come back to the Lord. Do we get discouraged? Sure, but we don't stay there. We remember all, all God has brought us through, and our faith and hope continue to be restored. We remember we are running our own race. It's a marathon, not a sprint. That should be encouragement for everyone because we are all running in our own lane, in our own lane. Our hearts are filled to overflowing now. I love my church, family, and my tribe. You guys are included in our tribe. We are thriving and living our best life all because of Jesus. We all have a choice to become either bitter or better through life. Cancer no longer defies who I am, defines who I am. I have learned that my worth comes only from being his child. And as his little girl, I can climb up on his lap and be consoled by him at any time. One thing that Bill Johnson says that sums up how I've started to handle the surprises in life, and I'm paraphrasing, the one thing, one thing we can give God that we cannot give him in heaven is a praise offering when we are going through difficult times. We give him the sorrow, discouragement, bitterness, resentment, pain, anger, and offer it up to him as a praise offering. I call it raising a hallelujah. And the music was perfect this morning. It all tied in. And my heart is filled, is overflowing with joy. He uses the brokenness in our lives. And through the cracks and brokenness, God's let, God lets his light shine through us. I want to thank my husband, who has stood by me these past 41 years, honoring the covenant of marriage. Thank you for always walking by our side in the good. Thank you, God, for always walking by our side in the good and painful times in our lives. You have a plan and a destiny for all of our lives. Help us to trust you more every day as we walk with you. I would like to pray for you. Uh, those that are experiencing any cancer situations or if you have a friend or family members, Please stand. Okay. <clears throat> if some of you that are standing, I'm mean, sitting right next to those, could you get up and put your hand on them, please? Okay. Those of you, those of you with cancer or with loved ones with cancer, I want you to stand in the gap for them. Lord, I pray for the change of atmosphere and a major breakthrough for those who are battling cancer at this time. I take authority to bind and cast out the spirit of cancer. Cancer has a name, and every name needs to bow down to the feet of Jesus. I curse the seed, root, and sails of the cancer. I want you to lay your hands on the affected area commanding every cancer cell in the body to die. I command the bone marrow to produce pure, healthy blood. I command healing to all organs and tissues affected and restoration of parts where necessary. I command the body's defensive killer cells to multiply and attack all cancer cells. And we pray for restoration to the body, mind, soul, and spirit,
Lord, we give you all the glory and honor and praise in your precious name. Now for the caregivers. Lord, we lift up those who are in a caregiving role for their loved ones. I pray for supernatural refreshment, rest, strength, and stamina. May you lift your bur their burdens from their shoulders and help them to place th and help them to place them at their feet. Equip them with clarity of mind, wisdom, and boldness as they deal with endless responsibilities and many doctors' appointments. Help them to put their trust in you and rest in your ever-loving arms. You promised to walk with us, holding us by our right hand. And we thank you for standing with us at all times, even carrying us when we need a rest. Lord, we praise you. We praise your precious name and give you all the glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Thank you both.